0: Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument with words from midgley caputi adams steward wolf and hagengruber let's get radical about philosophy
1: Hi everyone, my name's Liz McKinlay. I'm an Associate Professor in Education at the University of Queensland and you're listening to Radical Philosophy, 3CR Community Radio, 855 on your AM dial.
0: I'm going to fight capitalism even if it kills me. It is wrong that people like you should be comfortable and well fed while all around you people are starving. Sylvia Pankhurst. 1921. Welcome to Radical Philosophy. I'm your host Beth Matthews. And today I'm speaking to Professor Jacqueline Jones about Lucy Parsons. Welcome to the program.
1: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: Look, Could you give us some background information about yourself?
1: I teach American history at the University of Texas at Austin and I've written works in the fields of African-American, labor, Southern, women's history.
0: So do you have any areas of philosophy that interest you?
1: Well, I am a social historian, but I'm certainly interested in the way that ideas inform our society, the history of the United States. I've written a book on uh, the myth of race, that is racial ideologies and how they've been used as political weapons in this country. The effects of those ideologies, of course, are quite devastating, but race itself is a myth, so uh, I have written about the idea of race and its kind of contradictory and inconsistent meanings over time.
0: What was it that inspired you to write the book, Goddess of Anarchy, The Life and Times of Lucy Parsons?
1: I knew about Lucy Parsons very generally. I was familiar with a biography that had been written about her in 1976 by Carolyn Ashbaugh, and she was always an intriguing figure to me. We didn't know much about her past, and she was quite well-known her in her time. She's quite the celebrity, a very well-known public speaker, radical anarchist, but not many people today remember her or or know who she is. So I thought it was time to go back and revisit her since the last biography was written in 1976.
0: So could you describe Lucy Parsons' childhood?
1: We don't know a whole lot. We do know that she was born to an enslaved woman in 1851 in Virginia Uh, that she and her mother and brother were forcibly removed from the East, either Virginia or Tennessee, during the Civil War and brought to Texas, Central Texas, around 1863 or so. Right after the Civil War in 1865, she and her mother, and at that point two younger brothers were... They moved, actually, the mother moved the family into Waco, a small town in McLennan County in central Texas. So, as far as her childhood goes, again, the evidence is not there. She was very light skinned, her mother was very dark skinned, and the general feeling was that a white man was her father, perhaps her owner was her father. We're not sure. She and her mother were both house servants while they were in slavery and uh, worked as servants after freedom as well in the town of Waco. At that point, she went to school for a couple of years in a school for former slaves. She was in her teens at that point, And when she was around 17, she had a baby by... Uh, someone, I'm, we're not exactly sure, a man named Oliver Benton claimed that he was the father. But soon after that, she met another man, a white man named Albert Parsons, whom she eventually married.
0: There were some contradictions about her childhood and ethnicity, wasn't there? That she claimed that uh, she wasn't really, she was Hispanic? or
1: Yes. When she be- began to launch her public speaking career, which was in the fall of eighteen eighty six she chose a new identity for herself and her husband, Albert, who was at that point imprisoned in Chicago for his alleged role in the Haymarket bombing of may eighteen eighty six her husband was complicitous in this new story about herself, this myth she concocted, and the idea was that She presented herself as the daughter of Hispanic and Native American parents, when, in fact, she had been born to an enslaved woman and probably a white man in Virginia in 1851. And I think she decided to assume this new identity because she worried that if her audiences knew that she was a former slave, that she was of African descent, Uh, she wouldn't have much credibility with them. And so she presented herself as a, well, in some ways a woman of mystery because she looked very exotic. People really didn't know about her background. They could only go on what she told them. Uh, She didn't make a big point about her background. She used to say that her own life was irrelevant to the struggle, the revolution that, all people cared about was her ideas and not who she was or where she came from.
0: What were the political views and activism that were shared by Lucy and her husband, Albert Parsons?
1: When they moved to Chicago from Texas in 1873, they became very active in the socialist community in Chicago. This was a German immigrant community, uh, very radical and the Parsons were totally devoted to that community, debating with their socialist colleagues and speaking and thinking deeply about activism, how radical change could come about in the United States. Albert himself ran for local office uh, several times in the late 1870s and early 1880s. He ran on the socialist ticket, which, of course, was a very minor third party at that point uh... compared to the democrats and the republicans the socialists had little chance of gaining national office although some local offices were captured by the socialists by the early 1880s, though both lucy and albert had become disillusioned with the political process and with voting in particular And they turned their backs on the ballot box and became anarchists. And just to talk a little bit about what they believed as anarchists, they differed from the socialists in some very dramatic ways. First of all, they did not believe in a strong central state. They felt that the good society would spring from small voluntary associations like trade unions, that everybody would belong to a voluntary association and engage in trade and barter with each other the, there would be no wages there would be no profit-making and this would be a harmonious society so uh, again in, in contrast to the socialists who posited a strong state the anarchists were very much opposed to that The anarchists also engaged in what we today consider very violent rhetoric. They were unabashed in calling for force. Lucy Parsons wrote a famous essay that ended with the injunction, Learn the Use of Explosives. And this kind of radical and violent, provocative rhetoric offended the socialists. They were much more mainstream here. And finally I would say that the anarchists embraced a kind of performative element that the socialists did not. The anarchists liked to parade through the streets and go down Prairie Avenue, which was a, a street of very fashionable mansions in Chicago, pull doorbells, cry out denouncing the greed of the capitalists who lived in those houses and generally um make headlines in the process. Again, something the socialists uh, were really not that interested in doing. They did aim for a kind of respectability that the anarchists did not care about.
0: Could you describe the events leading up to Albert Parsons' death?
1: Yes. So uh, Albert Parsons was the editor of an anarchist periodical called The Alarm. Lucy contributed to that frequently And, again, this periodical posited a very violent process of revolution. The Parsons believed that, over time, machines would take over the workplace, throwing people out of work, that the army of the dispossessed would grow, and soon, uh, Americans would not be able to afford the consumer goods that were being produced and the whole capitalist system would be on the verge of collapse and would only need the spark of revolution to send it into a downward spiral. Well, on the night of May 4th, 1886, at an anarchist organized rally in Haymarket Square in Chicago, someone threw a bomb into a group of policemen who had entered the square killing seven of them and injuring others injuring many others actually policemen and others and no one ever was able to find the identity of the person who actually threw the bomb but Albert Parsons and six of his comrades are anarchists were arrested and charged with conspiracy and murder for that those deaths in haymarket square and the trial was held that summer he and uh, his co-defendants were found guilty eventually uh, the following year in november of 1887 he and three other men were executed for their alleged role in in the haymarket bombing I will say the trial was very unfair. Everybody um, pretty much agrees about that. And as I said, the authorities admitted that they did not know the identity of the person who threw the bomb, but they felt that these men, Albert Parsons and his co-defendants who were also anarchists and either editors or orators, that they had spread the gospel of anarchy and spread the gospel of violence and so were culpable
0: for this crime you're listening to radical philosophy on radio 3cr 855 on your am dial and i'm speaking to professor jacqueline jones about lucy parsons Uh, now lucy had two children what was her relationship like with her children
1: He had a, she and Albert had a son in 1879, Albert Jr., and they had a daughter, Lulu, in 1881. Lulu died when she was about seven years old from complications from scarlet fever, we think. Albert Jr. had a more troubled history uh, going forward. He, in 1899, decided that he wanted to join the army and go off and fight with the u s forces in the Philippines. His mother, by that time of course widowed. Uh, uh, her husband had been executed in eighteen eighty seven but Lucy presented herself as a real anti-imperialist and announced u s efforts in Cuba and the Philippines. So she was quite offended, quite horrified, when her son announced that he was going to join the army. And, in fact, she had counted on him as uh, walking in his father's footsteps, becoming an activist in his own right, an orator like his father, and he apparently had no interest in doing that. There are a couple of instances when he was younger when he ran away from home once for a few days, but another time for several weeks. And uh, I think his relationship with his mother ultimately was very troubled. I will say the both Parsons, Albert and Lucy, uh, spoke out of town a great deal, leaving the kids with friends and neighbors in Chicago. Not necessarily that the kids disliked that or or were not happy or somehow were ill-treated during those times when their parents were away, but I will say that the the parents were, in many instances, absent, and that Lucy continued her speaking engagements Uh, after Albert's death. She uh, gained a national reputation as a really fierce and eloquent orator, but she did spend a lot of time away from home. So I doubt that her relationship with her children was as close as it might have been. Well, in any way, uh, in any case, let me just say that in 1899 when Albert Jr. announced he was going to join the Army, uh, Lucy was so indignant she dragged him before a judge in Chicago and had him declared insane, uh, mentally unfit, and the judge on the mother's recommendation remanded Albert to an insane asylum where he died 20 years later. There is no evidence that his mother went to see him during that time. And from what we can learn about what other people said about Albert Jr., he certainly was not insane. So that particular incident is really its intriguing and horrible at the same time. We don't know what her motivation was, why she would treat her son this way, why she would never go visit him. It it's, remains a mystery, but in any case, it's a very sad story.
0: Yeah, it certainly is. So, Could you explain about the significant parts of Lucy Parsons' life that were lived outside the public eye?
1: She did have a public persona. She presented herself as a very prim, proper Victorian wife, mother, and then widow. And yet she did have a turbulent personal life. She took lovers after Albert's execution. Uh, Many of her comrades in the anarchist community were appalled that she would besmirch his sacred name by having affairs, but she was very, she was considered very beautiful by everyone who met her. She was vain, <laughs> and she was a very sexual being and lived her, her own life on her own terms. So in that sense, her private persona was, did not really match her, her public Persona, And I will just add, of course, that she never spoke publicly about her own origins, her birth in Virginia to an enslaved woman, and her trek from Virginia to Texas during the war. And I think her inability really to discuss that part of her life probably took an emotional toll on her.
0: Yeah, it would have. What was Lucy Parsons' connection with Emma Goldman
1: well, they were both famous anarchists, famous radicals in their day. By the 1890s, of course, Emma Goldman was writing and speaking widely about free love and about the horrors of monogamy and the the horrors of the double standard, the sexual double standard that gave men a free sexual license while women had to remain pure and so forth. Emma Goldman, in with her new periodical called Mother Earth, was quite outspoken about sexual liberation, and she was also very interested in the arts and literature, especially as a means of personal liberation. Lucy Parsons was or, appalled, or at least she said she was appalled, by this new emphasis on sex. Uh, it was called Varietism, Variety in, in Sex. And some anarchist groups embraced this notion as kind of the ultimate in personal freedom, in radicalism. And she believed this was highly unethical and disreputable, all the while, of course, living this secret life, personal life, uh, that really was much more liberated than she admitted it to be and in fact emma goldman at one point uh, called her out as a hypocrite that uh, here was lucy parsons criticizing these anarchists for their free love uh, impulses when she herself was living by those same impulses but not admitting it publicly so they did have a rivalry of sorts they overlapped emma goldman often visited chicago Her lover, Dr. Ben Reitman, was a Chicagoan, and, again, they interacted with Lucy Parsons. They knew who she was. They were at meetings with her, but they kept their distance. And I think, ultimately, Emma Goldman and Lucy Parsons were rivals for headlines. They had a certain competition, personal competition going on there, and in the end, I think they just did not like each other very much.
0: Mm, it's a bit, of a bit of a pity, really. If they had have joined forces, they would have been quite an incredible team, wouldn't they? Uh, yes, we can only imagine. <laughs> what do you think that it is that Emma Goldman has worldwide fame, whereas Lucy Parsons is relatively unknown?
1: Well, I think there are a couple of answers to that. If we look at Emma Goldman's history, of course, she was deported from the United States in 1919, went to the Soviet Union, became tremendously disillusioned by the new regime there, and wrote, and it's it's a very interesting history from Russia, you know, she was born in Russia, moved to the United States as a young girl, and then back to Russia, and coming full circle in a way, and, and being horrified, really, by... Some of the excesses, especially toward anarchists in uh, the new Soviet Union, they, uh, the the new leaders, of course, had uh, very little patience for radicals of that kind. And she realized that the country was headed toward uh, totalitarianism if it was not already there in the early 1920s. Lindsay Parsons lived virtually her whole life in Chicago. She moved there in 1873, died there in 1942 at the age of 91. So... She didn't have that kind of international reach that part, that Goldman did. Goldman's Mother Earth was much more long-lived as a periodical than the two periodicals that Lucy Parsons edited, Freedom in 1890-91 and The Liberator in 1905. And finally, I'll just say that Emma Goldman wrote extensively. So did Lucy Parsons, but Parsons was better known during her lifetime as an orator. She was not a labor organizer. She was not a theoretician, not an ideologue. (laughs) She was an agitator. And her claim to fame, at least while she was living, was that she could really inspire and fire up audiences with her radical rhetoric, her provocative accusations about the capitalists and the robber barons, spoke to audiences of laboring men and women who loved to hear her denounce the growing gap between the rich and the poor, the evils of technology in the workplace, the injustice visited upon working men and women, the violence directed their way toward by forces of the state, by private security forces, and so forth. She gave expression, I think, to their visceral feelings about injustice in the United States. And she was an outspoken proponent of free speech and free assembly. But I think, in a way, her her effect was transitory in, in the sense that She gave these speeches, and then she was gone. And the people who heard her certainly remembered her, and many people throughout the United States knew her name. But after she died, I think a lot of her speeches and her general contributions to radical activism were lost.
0: So what was her legacy?
1: Well, as I said, she was an outspoken proponent of free speech and free assembly i think the chicago red squad which was a section of the chicago police department devoted to harassing and investigating radicals i think that red squad was formed in the late eighteen eighties because of her outspokenness she would give a speech and undercover agents would be present Some sometimes the police would march up to the front of the stage and drag her off because she had said something they considered offensive. They insisted she fly the American flag behind her, that she display that flag behind her whenever she spoke, and she refused to do that, preferring the red flag of revolution instead. So, again, she reminds us that, political activists were not confined to the Democratic and Republican parties, that there was a vibrant radical tradition that I think captured the imagination of a lot of working class people during that period. But ultimately, the anarchist tactics of organizing workers really were not, Productive in this country, they were imported from Europe and really not suited for a United States group of, of working-class people for a variety of reasons.
0: Do you have any future study plans?
1: I'm not sure at this point. I would like to write a history of the African-American community in Boston during the Civil War. So I think that might be my next project.
0: Well, thank you very much for coming onto the program today. And that's all we have time for. So thanks very much for listening and do stay tuned for Are You Looking At Me?